0: Kent Garrett, welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s and are now 80 years old. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. We entered Harvard as Negroes, but graduated as blacks and African-Americans. Our guest is Professor Didier Fasson from the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey. He is a French anthropologist and sociologist who has adapted from the landmark essay Enforcing Order a graphic book titled Policing the City, an Ethnographic. For 15 months, Professor Fasson observed up close the daily life of an anti-crime police unit in a neighborhood on the outskirts of Paris.
1: Thank you very much. I'm Didier Fassin. I'm uh, a, a, an anthropologist, a sociologist, and, and, a, and a medical doctor. Uh, uh, I am currently a professor, uh, James D. Wolfenson professor at the Institute for Advanced Study, and I'm a director of studies at the Ecole des Auditudes en Sciences Sociales. And I will soon, um, that is at the end of this year, uh, join uh, the Collège de France uh, uh, for on a uh, on a chair um, which is on uh, moral and political questions in contemporary societies. So <clears throat> I uh, I began uh, my eighteen month uh, fieldwork shortly uh, before the two thousand five riots, which you probably remember uh, in France. Uh, which were prompted by the electrocution of two adolescents uh, attempting to escape an anti-crime squad uh, in Clichy-sous-Bois near Paris. And I ended it just before the 2007 rebellion of villiers le bel following the death of two other youth uh, whose motorcycle was hit by the car of a similar special unit. And yet, rather than these kind of events, um, it is what happens in between that interested me. Um, What happens when no youth is killed, uh, no car burnt, no building destroyed, no store looted? I favored the study of the everyday over that of the sensational, the inquiry into the ordinary ordinary life of a police station over the spectacular events disrupting its course. Even if I occasionally uh, witnessed Uh, quasi-riots presenting all the hallmarks of potential urban disturbances. So the conurbation where I conducted my research was one of the largest uh, in the country with a population of approximately 200,000 people. Uh, Although uh, there was a certain diversity of social class, ethnic origin, and type of housing, the unemployment rate, the percentage of immigrants, the proportion of poor neighborhoods and the level of criminality were substantially higher than in the rest of the region. Uh, the police considered it a tough precinct uh, or district uh, where they did not like to be posted. The units, uh, units I studied were composed on the one hand of uniformed uh, officers in marked vehicles, and on the other hand of plain police in unmarked, unmarked cars. The latter were known as the anti-crime squads, feared for their harshness. They were created in the mid-1990s to intervene in the banlieue, uh, whose working class population principally of North African and sub-Saharan origin was increasingly regarded as the new uh, dangerous class, to use an historical um, or an expression of historian for the 19th century. In fact, I discovered that to call my work an ethnography, which is very uh, uh, basic in uh, in social science, especially anthropology, uh, sociology, and sometimes political science, uh, uh, posed certain problems. Uh, When I gave a talk to magistrate and commissioner at the National School of Law in Paris, I chose a title which I meant to be as neutral and harmless as possible, Ethnography of an Anti-Crime Squad. When we received it, when he received it, the organizer of the lecture immediately called and requested that I change it. He told me uh, they would think you consider them as savages, uh, and so I had to modify it uh, to what I imagine would be regarded as even more ambiguous. So the new title was "Investigation into an Anti-Crime Squad," and that new version was accepted without a difficulty. <laughs> So, <clears throat> contrary to the image of relentless action generally associated with law enforcement, including by officers themselves, always keen to emphasize the exhilarating moments they have experienced when they talk to their colleagues, uh, boredom is what dominates most of their time on a shift. Far from being the hero- having the heroic activity in pursuit of thieves and thugs, as many affirm, they imagine when they entered the profession, um, their law enforcement uh, is generally synonymous with inaction and ennui. The rhythm of urban expeditions resembled more the episodes of The Wire, uh, which my interlocutors had never seen, than the adventures of the strike team in The Shield, whose photographs covered the walls of their common room. Now, the officers admired the main character of uh, the series, uh, and you may have seen it. Uh, so, the, this character is Detective Vic McKay, um, uh, the head of an anti gang unit inspired by the real uh, rampart division of the LAPD, which caused a scandal in uh, the late 1990s by breaking the law, torturing suspects, killing criminals, helping themselves to the stolen properties property and drugs disease and deceiving or even physically eliminating uh, their more principled colleagues. So the French officers' identification with these characters of the, of the series the television series reflected a remarkable moral imaginary. Like their heroes, they wore a civilian uniform uh, of jeans, t-shirts, leather jackets, and their hierarchy tolerated a wide degree of autonomy in the conduct of their activity. They were permitted up to a point to disregard legal procedure to impose their rules on the ground that their legitimate and, and uh, justify their irregular means, which is known in sociology as the dirty Harry problem since Karl uh, Kroker's uh, uh, eponymous paper on dirty Harry, which you probably have seen. Uh, Yeah, there was one major difference between the fictional characters and my protagonists. The breathless pace of each episode of The Shield with uh, riveting scenes depicting major crimes leading to the violent questioning of suspects and ending with cases being solved, often by unorthodox methods, bore slight resemblance to the quiet routine of the real squads. Unlike their heroes, the lot that fell to my uh, officers, and I must admit, to me too, was boredom. Mm-hmm. Here is, for instance, the script of an ordinary night in January uh, 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 of, of the year of my um, uh, 15-month uh, study. Early in the shift, reports <coughs> come from uh, uh, c- come of a man s- seen climbing the wall Around the lot of a small supermarket in a project within the district, so two patrol cars are dispatched. Once uh, the crew I am accompanying is inside of the shop, the driver decides to go to go a long way around, uh, so as not to attract the attention of the suspect. He finally stops the car 200 yards from the spot where the offense was reported to have occurred. We go the rest of the way on foot but get lost in a dead-end alley. Hmm. We have to retrace their steps. And when we finally get nearby the sites where the suspect has been seen, 20 minutes have passed since the call came over the radio. Hmm. There's no one in sight. The officers take up position to stake out the location in the cold. A quarter a quarter of an hour later, the silence is broken by a noisy and untimely message on the radio that one of the officers neglected to switch off. His colleagues curse him for for his uh, forgetfulness. They nevertheless realize that the alleged criminal, if he ever existed, had escaped uh, their grasp some time ago. In the end, they decide to leave. Returning to their vehicles, they pass by Uh, Four teenagers with sports bags, evidently on the way home from training, as the boys confirm. They are members of a local handball team. They nevertheless have to submit to an identity check, a body search, and some vague admonition about wandering wandering, uh, around the streets at night. The two teams set off again on patrol through the town. There's only one other, another, one other call around midnight regarding a do- domestic dispute involving a couple who assert that they have made up when the police arrive at their home. Nothing else, not even the opportunity to stop an immigrant to check his documents around the train stations, which the officers scrutinize conscientiously as they pass by. Admittedly, a cold winter night is not a good time when residents of the outer cities tend to meander, and the state of emergency declared after the recent riots continues to have a dissuasive effect. So as is clear in this example, patrols have two ways of intervening, and this is very classical, you find that in the United States as well. They respond to calls from the public, which is called reactive intervention, and they randomly patrol in search of suspects that is called uh, proactive action. It has been established in numerous studies worldwide, and again, in particular, uh, in North America, that the time dedicated to reactive intervention is usually very limited, obliging officers to develop proactive interventions. When knowing that the anti-crime squads were in principle specialized in catching criminals red-handed, that's why they, they they had been created, I asked an officer how many times he had seized a burglar in the act and they, um, they told, he told me that uh, it was exceptional. Uh, <clears throat> one of the officers was even precise. He says, it's, it's simple. I've been in the squad seven years now and it's only ever happened to me once. And even then, the stupid asshole had got himself shot into into the house he broke into and could not get out. All we had to do was to pick him up. (laughs) So any accounts of police work should therefore start with depicting the long eventless days or nights spent driving through the city and its housing projects, expecting calls that rarely come and often prove to be hoaxes or errors. The sole encounters are with youth of ethnic minorities hanging around in public spaces or immigrants returning home from work or Roma heading towards their camps, all of whom uh, are indiscriminately subjected to frequently aggressive and humiliating stops and frisks in the hope of finding a small bowl of hashish, uh, Identifying an undocumented alien, discovering evidence of an improbable larceny, or simply as a way to kill time. These three categories, social categories youth in the projects, immigrants, Roma, correspond to what the sociologist John Allen Lee calls police property that is, populations whose control is left to the police by the dominant social groups. In this context of inactivity, and I I insist on the fact that it is not a a question of laziness, but it's really that uh, the um, uh, events on which police can intervene uh, uh, in, in the good time are quite rare. So in this context of inactivity, minor offenses such as the noise pollution caused by a motorcycle or a simple altercation between adolescents often become major events, generating a flurry of excitement in the crews and inducing disproportionate and inappropriate operations which prompt indignation among inhabitants and sometimes lead to disturbances. An official of the Ministry of the Interior close to uh, the right-wing government so uh, who was supposed to defend the the, the police told me that these squads, the anti-crime squads, often caused more trouble when intervening in the projects than they solved problems, his expression. One late evening, for example, we were called out out to deal with a brawl in a housing project. Upon arrival, it turned out that once again, it was a hoax. The crew returned grumblingly to their patrol. Half an hour later, another call was made from the same uh, uh, public telephone in the same project. Our car was already quite far away, and there was not the slightest chance, slightest chance, uh, we could get there to catch the hoaxer. Nevertheless, we sped off through the city streets at more than 90 miles per hour. <laughs> we reached the destination at just about the same time as two other vehicles screeched uh, to a halt in the middle of the street running through the project, blue lights flashing. Eight officers split into pairs and scored uh, the alleyways on foot. At some point, one of them saw a black youth walking in the distance. And it was decided that he might well be the suspect. A chase began and as the the youngster had run off on seeing the officers scrambling towards him, as he entered one of the apartment blocks, the officers found themselves in front of a closed door and rang all the buzzers yelling at the residents to open up. It was midnight and lights came on one after the other in the apartments. The few seconds it took to gain access to the building were evidently enough for the boy to get back to his home. When the police rushed into the stairwell, it was empty. They knocked on every door, aggressively asking the occupants if someone had just entered. They did, not, they did not dare embark to embark uh, on a systematic search of the 20 or so units. The tenants got off with a serious scare. The crews departed, not without, without having conducted several aggressive and humiliating stops and frisk on a small group of young Arab men who were just sitting on a bench chatting a little further away. So how to account for these facts, which in the context of the banlieue seem perfectly mundane and banal. However, inappropriate it may, seem, it may seem, this mode of operating viewed from the perspective of the police is morally justified along two lines. One concerns their public and the other, their profession. So first, as it has been established in several studies elsewhere, Uh, Officers consider their public as hostile. In the French case, this animosity is contradicted by opinion polls, which indicate that 73% of the so called ethnic majority and even 59% of those belonging to ethnic or racial minorities declare they trust law enforcement, as well as by the very experience of the officers who encounter during their patrols individuals in the project who solicit their assistance assistance for delinquent acts or bring suspicious facts to their attention. This representation of the public as hostile has a triple function for law enforcement officers. First, it reinforces group solidarity. Second, it protects professional secrecy. And third, it justifies reciprocity. The hostility of the police is regarded regarded as a normal response to the perceived hostility of the population. Predictably, the officer's aggressiveness is socially differentiated, directed more specifically toward the youth of the housing projects, who are mostly from the working class and of immigrant origin. On the one hand, because they are radically otherized, that is made other, uh, they are generally regarded as deviant. Indeed, officers have a hard time differentiating the thugs from the honest people, as the commissioner himself explained, and they cannot imagine that, quote, a black guy with a hoodie can be a PhD student and not a hoodlum, as the mayor, uh, in the mayor's words. On the other hand, in a context of bellicose public discourse toward the scum that uh, the uh, description by the uh, former uh, by the minister a former minister of the interior and then uh, uh, president of the republic, uh, French Republic, Nicolas Sarkozy. That's how he called them, scum. They are all considered as enemies. They don't like us, the bastards, commented the chief of the anti-crime squad as we were slowly driving by a group of African and Arab youth, but we don't like them either. In consequence, practices that would not be acceptable in relation to the majority of citizens become normalized when they concern these minorities. So second second element of their moral justification, as has been demonstrated in uh, other um, North American studies, magistrates are often suspected of being too lenient towards the suspects. We arrest criminals, and the next day they are outside. The judges have freed them. One wonders why, uh, what we work for. That that was the late motive during uh, our uh, patrolling through the projects. Again, evidence contradicts formally this uh, uh, assertion. Surveys demonstrate that magistrates are particularly severe, and that the severity are rego- regularly. Uh, has regularly increased due to the hardening of the law, which now includes automatic sentences, and to the pressure of the government, which repeatedly accuses the judges of being precisely too lenient. Actually, the reason why the police believe that magistrates are sabotaging their work is that they often arrest suspects without minimal proofs. As a surgeon told them one evening, and I was there, there have been too many police abuses, he says. We have taken too many liberties. It's like us with the youngsters. We don't trust them. You know what? The judges feel the same way about us. Now, considering the t- two lines of justification, I just mentioned the hostility of the public to which the p- police responds in kind and the leniency of the magistrate which its for greater severity from the officers. Considering these two lines, operations such as the one I described earlier uh, are justified in the name of what political scientist Jerome Skolnick calls justice without trial, punishment is morally justified for the police officers. In the case evoked, I told you just a minute ago, it concerned the suspect, the black adolescent, and by proxy, the residents of the apartment building collectively, and the youth sitting on a bench individually. Indeed, the boy was black, he lived in a project, and he had run off at the first sign of a chase, all factors that testified to his guilt for the police. The members of the anti-crime squad were convinced they had found their culprit, that the residents were harboring him, and that by default, the other youngsters were potential accomplices. The usual practice therefore consists in punishing the suspect in the street, the car, or at the station. It, is, it can be physical with illegal, painful, debasing, handcuffing, or sometimes through slapping or punching. It is more frequently psychological with insults, insinuations, humiliations, mortifications, often in front of friends, parents, or partners. Yet, when the individual suspect is not accessible, uh, that was the case in my story, the retribution may assume two other manifestations. The first mode is a punitive expedition, expedition, which renders a group of people the hostage of police brutality. So one late afternoon, a person called the police to complain about a motorcycle noise in their neighborhood uh, in response to which three uniformed officers came to uh, investigate. They chased the driver, who fell from his vehicle. And as they were on the verge of catching him, they suddenly faced a group of hostile youth. The three men beat a hasty retreat and contacted their colleagues for backup. A few minutes later, all the police cars available in the precinct rushed to the site where families were simply enjoying the spring dusk in a small peaceful park. Two dozen officers dashed towards one of the adjacent apartment buildings, knocking about children, threatening inhabitants, and smashing doors. In the unit uh, where they imagined the suspect lived, they appended the furniture, broke the arm of a sister who happened to be present, and finally arrested a young man, only to discover that he was blind and could not possibly have been in- involved in the initial altercation. This was the sort of incident that could easily degenerate into larger disturbances. The second option after the uh, punitive expedition is random punishment, consisting in, uh, in chast- chastising one of, uh, in the group. During the riots on a night that a M- Molotov uh, cocktail had been thrown in the direction of pol- police car, the anti-crime squad thought they discerned the figures of several youth at a distance in the, in the dark. They pursued them, but were unable to catch anyone. Two hours later, driving in the same area, a few hundred yards from the initial incident, they encountered three young men having a conversation near the entrance of a building. They stopped and checked their identity. One of them did not have his driver's license with him and asked to be accompanied to his parents' uh, apartment on the second floor, where, where he was, the second floor, to retrieve it he was denied permission and taken in for questioning. At the precinct, he was accused of being a perpetrator of the earlier aggression without any proof, of course. After two hours of intimidation and abuse, he was eventually released. The public transportation system had stopped running for the evening and he had to walk home two miles in the dark. Some magistrates denounced this type of arrest as a frequent practice. So, until now, on several occasions, I've referred to studies conducted in other countries, including the United States, suggesting findings somewhat similar to mine. However, it is important to consider uh, that historical and political context matter. In this regard, the case of France presents two significant features. The police have a national organization. And insecurity has become a national issue. So on the one hand, law enforcement has been essentially conceived since the French Revolution as a prerogative of the state in the name of the nation. This has two important uh, um, implications for law enforcement. First, the police are recruited in the whole national territory and therefore generally work in places they do not know. Four uh, four out of five come from rural areas or small towns, often from white working-class families living in de-industrialized zones. Because their career is based on seniority, the first posting they obtain corresponds to the least desirable districts, that is the Borlieu, where they will be working amongst disadvantaged population of immigrant background. The way this public is introduced to them during their training at the academy contributes to the sentiments of strangeness and hostility they they will feel when they uh, discover this new urban environment, which is designated to them as a jungle, and its inhabitants referred to as savages. A language carrying, obviously, a clear racist and colonial connotation. Second element, the police are then only accountable to the state, that is, concretely to the Minister of the Interior. In other words, their responsibility and commitment are not to the population, as you would think it should be, uh, and at as uh, or, uh, or, or to its elected representatives, as would be the case uh, in the United States or Britain, where authority over law enforcement is mainly local. This organization of law enforcement has long been presented, not without reason, as guaranteeing fairness at the national level as well as avoiding local pork barrel politics. Yet in the past three decades, Far from being a neutral entity, the state to which the police are accountable has become increasingly embodied through successive ministers of the interior who have used them for the promotion of their own political career. The ideal of impartiality progressively vanished as law enforcement became an instrument to achieve personal ambition. Indeed. <clears throat> On the other hand, insecurity issues have become increasingly prominent in the national political agenda, a phenomenon one can trace back three decades. Uh, back three decades. The historic victory of the left in the general election of 1981, after 23 years of conservative domination, led to the restructuring of the French political landscape with the rapid rise of the far right and the weakening of the traditional right. The national front based its success principally on two issues, immigration and security, often mixing the two by presenting immigrants or their children as the major source of insecurity. It is noteworthy that this evolution occurred in a period when France was far less than other countries subject to objective threats and terrorism, most notably, which came later. But in the absence of an external enemy, it remained possible to identify an enemy within. And they were these uh, uh, young men from uh, immigrant origin. And this was in a context of increasing uh, inequality in society. These two political elements that I just described, the national organization and, and the accountability, uh, and accountability of, the sta- uh, of the police to the state, and the instrumental use of insecurity and immigration issues reinforced the logics I have described earlier and contributed greatly to the production of police deviance. An illustration of this interaction between policies and practices is the shift from fighting serious criminality towards arresting marijuana users and undocumented immigrants as a consequence of a politics of quota, which was imposed by uh, the government with quantitative objectives of arrests that the police were unable to attend to attain, obliging them to compensate the lack of accessible crime by what they used to call, uh, by what they, they called adjustment variables. Uh, this shift uh, had a non-negligible social cost: the banalization of racial discrimination and racial profiling since uh, this adjustment uh, variable variables were immigrants in in search of undocumented ones and uh, marijuana, uh, which they uh, tried to find in uh, in, uh, housing projects among uh, minority population. It was fascinating to watch officers stopping teenagers of ethnic minorities in disadvantaged neighborhoods to search them for marijuana while ignoring upper-class white students of a business uh, school, obviously under the influence of drugs in the surroundings of their colleges. When students attending this prestigious business school organized parties in local bars in the city, uh, standing uh, outside the bars, the police monitored the area. Of the dozens drinking and smoking on the sidewalks, none was ever checked or searched. In fact, as I eventually understood, the reason for the presence of the police was not to keep watch over them, but to protect them from attacks or thefts possibly perpetrated by the other youth, those of the projects where we would venture uh, afterwards to make stops and frisks, which sometimes led to arrests when small quantities of marijuana was found. So to sum up, what can be described as the action of the state was neither the mere product of police discretion, as is often said, nor the sole result of the implementation of national policies, neither bottom-up or top-down, so to speak, but the interaction of both, which converged because they found their justification in similar moral arguments. But, as one can guess, not all officers share the same values. And I, uh, I don't want to give the impression that all are uh, on the same page uh, and, and practice in the same way. So the ethical dimension concerns the moral community that uh, the police officers constitute through their discourses and practices. By moral community, I mean, the sum of the concrete and virtual individuals with whom one imagines one shares a common human condition. Either it is inclusive and comprise a, prior, a priori any individual, even if this evaluation has to be revised a posteriori for a given individual who has committed an odious crime, or it is exclusive and rejects a priori um, that is without any form of empirical test, Certain categories, generally on, on generally on the basis of ethnic or racial classification, uh, which can find their a posteriori rationalization based on the fact that the individual in question deserves the indignity one had prima facie. So, just to illustrate these two uh, uh, these, these two ways, uh, inclusive and exclusive. So, for the exclusive, uh, the chief of the anti crime squad said, "The poles, the Portuguese." I have no problem with them. No, it is with the Blacks and the Arabs that I do. And his derogatory remarks and his brutal conduct conduct when he was stopping or questioning an individual corresponding to the description left no doubt about his sincerity. By contrast, on the inclusive side, a middle-aged sergeant who acted uh, in a respectful way towards minority Explain to me these issues about blacks, whites or grays as they say, that's an insulting term to designate Arabs, uh, for me, it does not make any difference. I grew up myself in a project near Paris. My friends were blacks and Arabs. We played soccer together. So this racist stuff, I really I really don't get it. Interestingly, The few officers who showed correctness in their behavior had been socialized in housing projects instead of rural areas or small towns. Now, the second dimension, which is the deontological one, as I call it, involves the moral obligation officers consider they have toward their profession, as well as a series of norms associated with it, in particular, the use of coercion and discretion. Here again, there's an alternative. Either this obligation towards the profession serves as a reference to evaluate the legality of their practices and the respect of the rights of the individual they encounter, or it becomes minimal leading to the unjustified or disproportionate use of force to abuses of their discretionary power. The display of retributive justice towards suspects, the punitive expedition and random punishment that I uh, described earlier, Correspond to, uh, uh, correspond to this minimalism. In a nutshell, ethics concern the relation to the public and deontology to the profession. profession. Obviously, an exclusive moral community, that is rejection, is often associated with weak moral obligation toward the profession and storms. Uh, and an inclusive moral community, uh, with strong, uh, uh, is associated with strong moral uh, obligation. But it is interesting to see that you have discordant pairs that exist, either when brutality was indistinctly directed towards everyone. So in a way you could say it, it was inclusive in the a, in a, in a worst sense, but of course n- with no respect of the norms, uh, or when racism, was dissociated from actual discrimination. So you could have someone racist, but uh, respecting the norms of his, uh, uh, of his uh, profession. These discordant pairs were, of course, uh, quite rare. These configurations that I just described are, are not static. They are evolution. And uh, <clears throat> there's an interesting case of uh, two um, police officers who shifted from night to day uh, in spite of the general preference uh, uh, that everyone had to work at night for uh, uh, to, to have more rest days. Uh, so that's what, I, what they explain. We could no longer bear what was going on at night. All you hear and see. And they mentioned racist and xenophobic com- comments as well, as well as discriminatory and violent behaviors, all practice that I myself frequently witnessed. One of them explained explained to me, at the beginning, we thought that that it was the right right stuff, like everyone else. We really went for it. That is for racism and xenophobia. We tried to become part of the group. But then, after a couple of years, we couldn't stand it anymore. And his colleague added, even when you don't agree with what's being said and done, you can't show anything. So you keep quiet and close it and close in on yourself. You don't want to be in trouble until there was a chance to change to the day shift. And that's what we did. Their evolution from the configuration of exclusive moral e- community and weak moral obligation to a new position with a certain refusal of racism and sense of duty remained unarticulated. Initially, they adhered to their Pierce practices, as they describe, then they rejected them, but without expressing their disagreements. And finally, they simply left. Now, as you may may know uh, from uh, uh, one of your uh, former colleagues um, at uh, Harvard, um, who was probably uh, 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 at the same time as you, Albert Hirschman, the economist, uh, some of you may have even known him. Um, he has uh, proposed in a, in an influential book, Exit, Voice, and Loyalty, uh, a triadic interpretation of the reaction to a situation with which one is not satisfied. So exit, voice, and loyalty. So in the police, voice, that is the expression of discontentment, is really the exception. The price to pay, to pay is too high, um, and... Um, Uh, People uh, wrote, police officers wrote to me uh, explaining uh, the cost they had to pay for uh, simply uh, protesting uh, the the, uh, violence or racism of their colleagues. Uh, Loyalty, that is renouncing action, is the rule. Secrecy is the norm and silence the habits. The consequence of this situation is that the institution is extremely difficult to transform. Moral dissidence is rare, uh, but when it exists, it, its expression is censored. And the only op- option is to leave. John.
2: Oh, hi. Yes, uh, I enjoyed your book. I got it on um, for my um, Kindle version in English. Uh, I wondered two things. One, usually in, in an ethnography, I would expect the uh, anthropologist or ethnographer to have access to the subject's lives uh, much more completely than you did. I don't know whether they put a limit on you, but for example, we don't go to the homes of the policemen. We don't know what they're like in their off-duty lives very much, and I wonder whether you were just unable to you could hang out with them on the job, but not in their not in their regular lives. Also, I wonder what's the effect of French popular series such as, I believe it's in French Engrenage or something, or it's the spiral. We see it in English. It's a wonderful series where the main police character is a woman and she uh, Directs a unit that has some African and Arab police in it, and they uh, part of their duties are to go into many of the areas that you describe these uh, housing, these uh, suburban housing communities, and uh, they show the corruption in the police. But they, they, I might say, they they tend to show police who are struggling with some of these problems that you. Uh, that you address and is that does it have an impact on how the police see themselves or how the public sees the police?
1: You're perfectly right about the, the, the first point. Um uh there's um uh there there's uh n- very little about uh, the uh w- what is uh, their life outside of work. Um uh I, I could add something that is very generic for for all of them and which i think is uh, is really interesting to to see what uh what their life out of work is um, they usually for the reasons that I said at the beginning uh they uh they're young uh police officers because they don't have seniority so that's where they they end up and so they are far from their uh family that is uh, uh from uh their uh partner, uh, and often kids, uh, and most of them come from the north. Th- those who are working in the area of Paris come from uh, the north uh, of uh, the de-industrialized north of France, uh, and um, uh, so they, where there's no job, and and mm-hmm. becoming a police officer or becoming a prison uh, guard is, uh, is is a certain achievement, because you would get... Uh, a, um a permanent job <clears throat> uh, so so they live um, pr- uh, probably uh, between uh, 150 and 200 miles from their um uh, from their home uh they go back every um, three days they work three days and they go back two days um they drive uh, uh, in the morning um, uh, as they finish their Work, they drive. For, they leave at seven, and they arrive home at eleven or something like that. And they start to sleep. And then they discover they they, they see their family. So in in the meantime, when they are uh, not with their family, uh, they um, they live. Uh, they share apartments w- in which they, uh, uh, for example, they, they take a two uh, two room apartment, uh, and it can be four. Uh, in this two room, because you have the night shift and the day shift, uh, and they can rotate, so it's less expensive for them. Uh, but of course, you can imagine the kind of life that uh, that this represents. Um, uh, life far from uh, from uh, from the from the family, and and there's a high uh, there's a high level of uh, divorce. There's also a high level of domestic violence among uh, among police officers. So, uh, to to go uh, more directly to your question, uh, first of all, it was uh, it would have been extremely difficult to. Uh, to, to, to it was already very unlikely. Uh, I was the first one to do an ethnography of of the police uh, in France, uh, and since then. Uh, uh, there has been one PhD student who has done uh, also, uh, but it, so it's, it's very difficult to 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 get uh, the permission to, to do that. And I decided to have with them uh, interaction on in the style of conversation. So I, I prefer to have uh, to to be um, that that was a, that was a choice. So uh, not to take notes, not to uh, record. Um, uh, because, um, uh, first of all, that, that would have been, the recording was, uh, was forbidden, but even taking notes, uh, would have, uh, changed the, the, the situation I had with them. So, um, so the, I had conversation with them, uh, or I joined their conversation, uh, either at the station or in the car, um, uh, but trying to be uh, to interfere as little as possible uh, with their with their work and uh, and there was no way I could uh, I could you know go in the north and uh, uh I didn't have a sufficient intimate relationship with them to go and visit them in the in the in the in the north regarding the french series engrenage uh, you refer to uh I've seen only one season, I think, um, and, and, and I, uh, as as you say, I think it's a it's a really good, uh, um, it's it's a really good one. Uh, uh, so I have no reservation about it. It's just that it um, uh, it shows uh, a level of action uh, that uh, you do not find uh, in the usual uh, life of uh, of units. Um, uh, but of course, uh, filming uh, uh, boring uh, evenings where people are in their car talking about uh, their family or the last video uh, of, of violence that they've uh, they, that they've seen uh, is, um, is is not very exciting for a, for a public.
0: I have to ask, uh, an ethnographic is an extraordinary and delightful innovation and presenting academic research uh, it uh, straddles both the academic world and the world of outcomes of events of impact of results do you have uh, any sense for which this may have delivered a message about what's going on in France to <laughs> be the, the uh, outrageous treatment of so that in the projects we would say of immigrants and so on. did it did it have impact because it was presented this way thanks and thanks for the presentation
1: yeah so first of all the book um uh, add um uh, the, the 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 first book the uh, the 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 first volume uh, which uh, some of you uh, obviously uh, have have read um uh add, add uh for me an Im- amazing impact that's the book that's my book that has had the most uh impact I think it, it uh, the, the publisher told me that uh it was uh uh one of the two uh um, um most successful ethnography in the last 20 years or something like that um and um and, and, I, and I was uh, honestly uh, surprised about it although I had written the book uh in a way um, that I try to be uh, to, to make it accessible to uh, to a larger audience, uh, and contrary to what I w- would have what I d- what I've done uh, what I had done before in uh, in uh, other books, um, where uh, you know in academic work you you uh, you, you mix your empirical uh, uh, data with uh, theoretical threads um, and. And in that case, I privileged the descriptions and narratives uh, uh, as, as I did now, uh, and tried to insert the theory uh, in a way that it would not be heavy for the for the reader. So, um, so that was ex- relatively experimental um, at the time, um, and <clears throat> uh, and the, the the book during one month uh, was all over uh, the. The media in France, um, the uh, newspaper you may know, Libération, uh, had its um, uh, front page, full front page, plus four um, uh, four full pages of um, uh, on on the book, um, and uh, so it, it was really uh, very much of a. Uh, 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 Yeah, an an editorial event, I could say. Uh, The impact has been uh, very much uh, also uh, among uh, non-governmental organization, uh, uh, neighborhood uh, communities, uh, young people, um, uh, and uh, magistrates, judges, um, uh the uh, very interesting thing is that um, I had an extremely negative uh, response from my colleague's criminologist um, <clears throat> in France. Uh, elsewhere, elsewhere the, the book was um, very well commented. But the pleasure I have, and I, I, I'm still talking about the 400-page the, 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 the book, um the pleasure I have now is that I've seen that it is taught in first year of college in sociology uh, mm. in many universities uh, in Europe and in North America. Uh, I, I think maybe elsewhere, but I, I'm not sure. Um and and it is uh and I think it is given um uh to the students as an uh as a, a book that may make them like uh, and understand uh, what sociology or social science uh, can be, um, because I think it is accessible, um, and uh, and so I I find this uh, really interesting. Now to go to your question about the uh, illustrated version that um, that that I uh, of which I I I, I showed some. Uh, some images, Um, my idea was of two kinds. First, it was to reach out to a public that was broader. Uh, Many people um, do not want to read uh, a 400-page book, uh, even if it's written in a way that is, uh, I believe, relatively accessible. Uh, But uh, uh, 100-page graphic uh, book, is something that is accessible. You can read it in one hour and a half or something, uh, and uh, and so so that was um, that was my um, uh, the, the first idea. And uh, last week, for example, uh, I was uh, in Marseille, and uh, and then I was in Lille, and uh, I had um, discussions uh, and interactions with high school students. Who had been studying the book as part of their uh, uh, class uh, in uh, what they call uh, social and economic sciences? Uh, There are a special uh, section in high school for uh, eleventh and twelfth grade, and uh, and and I thought it was interesting because it made it uh, it made that accessible, and the professors could the teachers could use uh, this book, and they wouldn't. It would have been more difficult for them to give uh, one chapter uh, of the book. So, the so the the these uh, young uh, students were uh, very um, able to 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 take uh, these uh, and and to understand immediately. Um, so that's the first element. The second was uh, the experiment. I I thought the experimental dimension was interesting, and it was interesting in so. So first of all, it was to go from 400 page of dense uh, writing to uh, 100 page uh, pages of uh, images, um, and so you have to you have to reduce. You have to, um, and I gave myself two uh, two constraints. The first one was that there should be uh, no added fiction, so it should be uh, really representing what. Uh, uh, what had what going been going on as much as I could be uh, an objective, uh, uh, which is never perfect, of course, but uh, 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 an objective observer. And the second one, uh, which was um, more difficult, was to avoid the, an anecdotic uh, um, presentation, because mm-hmm. you, you can transform all the narratives of the original book into a series of scenes uh, uh, that are either uh, uh, dramatic or funny or tragic, um, and and I didn't want the book to be that, mm. so I had to um, to imagine a way of bringing into the um, into the the book with very few words um, uh, what was the historical, sociological and political context. Of, uh, of of this, so mm-hmm. I had to show scenes uh, as you've seen in the beginning. Scenes uh, about uh, the riots and explaining how it came uh, about. The um, the training and uh, and and the selection of the um, of the officers um, about the evolution of politics uh, in in France. So <clears throat> uh, so that that was. Uh, that was an interesting challenge, and I had to add uh, an epilogue of ten pages, I think, uh, which is about um, the uh, what happens after. Uh, so, what happens between uh, the end of my research and uh, and fifteen years later? So, um, so for me, this experimental dimension uh, uh, was was really uh, really interesting. We have a. The police uh, that are um, extremely problematic and not just um, not just towards the, uh, the the youth in the project, not just towards the demonstrators, but also towards uh, the uh, the migrants.
0: That was Professor Didier Fasson from the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey. His book is titled Policing the City, an Ethnographic. And that's it for this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or from wherever you get your podcast. Plus, you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard.